Welcome to Islington Miller's Queer, a monthly podcast series dedicated to shining a light on and documenting the queer history of one of the UK's most important and influential artistic hubs, none other than Salford's Islington Mill. I am your host, The Nihilist, and for episode three, we've got a very special interview with one of the true pioneers of Islington Mill, Ms. Jane Compton. Now, when I first moved to Manchester in about 2010, I was aware of Jane because she used to run a space called Crack in the Northern Quarter, which is where I went for the very first time on my first ever Manchester Pride with my now partner. And we saw a live show by David Hoyle, a.k.a. The Divine David, which to me was a mind-blowing experience. That I could go to a room somewhere and see this person who had been a massive influence on me when I was younger, see them live right in front of my face. Because Divine David used to have a TV show on Channel 4 in the mid to late 90s, and it was very influential for kind of freaky queer culture and also commentary. So I've been aware of Jane and her work, and we have worked with her in many different capacities over the years. But to be honest, I didn't really know what her involvement with Islington Mill was until I did this interview. And boy, are we going back with this one. Not just to the depths of, say, 2005, 2006, when people were moving into the very space where I'm in right now and living here, but even further back to the 90s when this was still more, much more of a commercial space and was being, still being rented rather than owned by Bill and the other Islington Mill crew. Apart from running venues and producing shows, Jane Compton was also one of the founder members of Club Brenda, which is a notorious Manchester, Greater Manchester clubbing institution. It was a kind of lesbian stroke queer party that took place, I think from the interview, it did start here in Islington Mill and it was popular from around the mid to late noughties. And Jane also runs the record label Switch Flicker, which was the original label to put out uh, release the first release by the band the ting tings who were also they used to live in islington mill too so that's something that's also come from islington mill culture that we uncovered during this interview so this is a true large slice of Islington Mills history we got coming up for you the next hour i just want to say though before we dive into the interview You may be aware of some of the sound issues that are going on at the moment. It's nothing that we can really stop because what it is, is on the floor directly above us, a whole bunch of workmen have moved in to completely transform the fifth floor into a new usable space. And unfortunately, the day that me and Jane sat down in here to do the interview happened to be the same day that those very workmen started putting the um, construction up outside the window of the studio. And I'm looking around and there's a guy (laughs) there right now. Thankfully, they're not banging and clanking. Anyway, though, it is a slice of life. It is a recording of real sounds and atmosphere and the general tone of life at Islington Mill in May 2021 with the massive renovations that are going on and all the um, scaffolding and all the construction that's going on in the building. I tried my best to edit the stuff out, but there's also some ones that just happened at really funny times. So we're leaving those in. So... Without further ado, this is episode three of Islington Mill is Queer, an interview with the pioneering Manchester and Greater Manchester promoter and producer, Jane Compton. 
Let's go. So, this is a very special edition of Islington is Queer <laughs> with our special guest, Jane Compton. And just for full disclosure, it's a bit rattly up here today in the studio because the builders are outside literally putting up a um, whole raft of new, um, whatchamacallits, outside that people climb up and down on scaffolding. So if you do hear some uh, clinks and clanks in the background, do please do your best to ignore it. Um, there's not much we can do about that. And it just adds to the general vibe of Absolutely. this is Islington. Yeah. <laughs> so Jane Compton, um, yeah, this is the traditional first question that I'm a- asking all the guests on this interview show. Do you remember the first time you ever saw or ever came to Islington Mill? Well, um, I think... It was in the 90s and I came here for dinner and I came to the fourth floor because Bill was renting the whole of the fourth floor as his fashion studio. Um, he'd just finished at St. Martin's okay. and moved back to Salford and taken the lease on the floor. The other floors were still in use and they were very much manufacturing textiles, carpentry. Um, they were just sort of old school industrial mm-hmm. units. Mm-hmm. What was the rest of the mill like at that point? Um, it was completely run down. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it looked pretty derelict. There was the big gate with the barbed wire on the front. Right, okay. Um, is, and that, is that the same gate that's there now? I think it is the same yeah. gate, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been, you can tell a few stories. Can't yeah, yeah that I'm sure gate. you can, yeah. Quite a lot's passed through that gate. Um, and then it, it housed just lots of independent businesses. Um, and then, yeah, I went, f- had dinner at Bill's and he was, had his sewing machine and he was making work, making clothes. Mm-hmm. And I DJed, I think, uh, one of his fashion shows. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And that was that here in the space that we're in now? Yeah, right. yeah, on the fourth floor in this space. Yeah, yeah very different then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were just discussing when when you arrived about the different rooms that are in the yeah. space now that weren't yeah. here before. So, yeah. So you used to live here. I did. Yes. How did that come about? How did you come to move into this space in particular? Well, um, Bill had refurbed the engine house, which is the the old house that I think yeah. used to power the mill okay. in the old industrial days mm-hmm. when they were all the sort of Victorian workhouse, I guess mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. And so he'd refurb that and he'd rented it out. So he moved in here into the fourth floor and his cousin Belinda was traveling around the world. She was over from Australia. So... Um, she was living up here mm-hmm. and and then I joined so yeah. there was the three of us and it was the flat was about half half the floor of the mill mm. and we all built our own bedrooms with mm-hmm. plasterboard yeah. put our own doors in um yeah so it's really DIY and yeah so the three of us me Bill and Belinda right. lived here when was that I think it was roughly 2005. Right, okay. So what was that? So 16 years ago. 16 years ago, yeah. yeah long time. <laughs> yeah. 
So you guys literally built the rooms that you were living in. Yeah. They were before that they were open spaces and you literally put up the walls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we ordered the plasterboard. I mean I put the plasterboard. I got some gloves and mm -hmm. put the plasterboard up with my own hands, yeah. Yeah. I'm very skilled at DIY. <laughs> Not <laughs> <laughs> that but like you must have been aware that you were moving into a space that this is just an empty a big empty space and you're going to yeah. have to build your own room was that not yeah. a bit daunting oh god no i think it was exciting it seemed no no well well i guess it was a bit daunting because <coughs> i didn't quite know what to expect um you know the facilities were a bit underwhelming i guess it's <laughs> <laughs> a nice way of putting it i'm just looking at the kitchen here mm -hmm. and this is the kitchen i think we had yeah uh, when i moved in a little ikea kitchen yeah there is a dishwasher here now though that yeah, wasn't here before that. no yeah, it's that's very a, posh yeah that's quite posh isn't <laughs> it a dishwasher here a dishwasher that i have to admit that we don't really use that much because i'm not really used to having a dishwasher i'm, I'm a scrubber myself for your, for your mugs yeah. <laughs> for your coffee <laughs> for mugs <laughs> so did you once you had moved in did you become much more involved in the mill after that and like what sort of stuff was happening here so this is like 2005 yeah what sort of stuff was happening here? Was Bill still doing fashion shows or? In 2005, um, I, I think he just started going out with Murray, I think. And Murray had started Sounds from the Other City with his brother, Mark. Um, and that was bands playing in little, little venues along Chapel Street in Salford. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so I moved in, and I'll tell you what happened. Mm -hmm. The basement, Bill stored the Christmas markets. So every year, every Christmas, the markets in town, you know, the sort of woodeny yeah. market stores, yeah. they were stored in the basement of the mill. And for, for some reason, one year, Bill stopped storing them. I don't know, maybe... Maybe they went somewhere else. Yeah. So the basement became available just because mm -hmm. they no longer needed them for storage. So we took the opportunity, really, to put on a party when, when that happened. What was that party? Was that... You were involved in Club Brenda, right? Yeah. Was that Club Brenda or was this kind of before Club Brenda? I think it was a Club Brenda, actually. Right. So um, I'd been doing... Club Brenda, which was a performance art club, which had started in 1999. Wow. With, um, <laughs> with Chloe Poems, which seems a lifetime ago. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we did, yeah, we did a Club Brenda, and what we had to do in the basement was, was kind of set it up as an event space. So there was no emergency lighting, there wasn't a proper fire door, there wasn't a bar, there wasn't a PA. Right. It kind of lacked all the health and safety stuff. So it was completely DIY. Um, and we did, we, did a, we did a Club Brenda, yeah. And um, Steve Lloyd was in the other mill next door. Okay. Um, and Steve Lloyd had a company called Noisebox. Okay. I don't know if you remember Noisebox. And Steve would lend us a PA, a drum kit, an amp whatever we needed and he'd just sort of wheel it across the courtyard yeah. 
and give us a sound engineer. And then we'd, you know, Mike, Mike stands everything and he'd yeah. set us up. But, you know, Steve's no longer, uh, no longer with us. But, um, yeah. Right. And who was, so there were bands playing? Of sort. Uh, there was uh, <laughs> Hot Pants Romance and Beats for Beginners and uh, Tracy Elizabeth. They were the, the first performers. And it was, um, we called it Brenda's Alternative Mardi Gras. And it, okay. took pride over, it took place over the Pride weekend of August 2005. Right, very good. Yeah. Was it busy? Oh, my God, it was packed. Yeah. And, um, we did drinks tokens then to get around the licensing mm -hmm. issues. Yeah, if, so there if there wasn't a bar, how were people getting booze? Drinks tokens. Drinks tokens, so right. So I think Bill came up with the idea of having drinks fairies. So he dressed some friends up as drink fairy, drinks fairies and they had these tokens and people would queue and exchange the money for tokens and then you'd buy the booze with the tokens. But, you know... Come sort of eleven o'clock, everyone was drunk and yeah. the drinks the drinks fairies disappeared and no one could get <laughs> any tokens. I think they were either copying off or got drunk somewhere and the whole exchange of tokens just Yeah. You know, didn't um, happen any anymore. Was there actually a license? Or was that a way to get around That was the first time we did it, that was a way around yeah. the licensing laws. Yeah. I mean, it went so well, that first one, I think we had, you know, that one went so well that the next time we did it, we were a bit more organized and we applied for temporary events notices. Mm -hmm. So you could go to the police station at Eccles okay. and you'd fill in this form, blah, 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 and then you'd be granted a license to sell alcohol and put on music for up to 96 hours. Oh, wow. Up to 96 hours. Yeah. Did the parties last that long? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It must have had quite a lawless vibe, especially as well if it was in the basement. Yeah. Which is a bit different now because that, I'm, I'm assuming that is what went on to become like the gig venue downstairs. It did, but when we first did it, I don't even think there were toilets in the basement. Right. So, um... We also use the first floor, which is, is it a common room now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's two toilets in there. Yes. So we use those. So we, we had the bands and the sort of performers on the basement. And then in the first floor, it was like a party disco room. You could right, get about okay. 100 people in there. Yeah. It was great because you could open those doors out onto the courtyard yeah. and all the lovely air. Yeah. Air would come in. And the, the first one we did, it was a lovely summer's night. And we built a bonfire. So because oh, wow. we were clearing out the basement, all this junk had appeared. Mm. So we put, we sort of shoved it all in the courtyard. And then we made this dummy, this person. Why, I don't know. What, what, what <laughs> effigy. Yeah. 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 And um, Ruth Allen had lent us a dress. So we dressed this dummy and we put a face on it. And then we set fire to it. And then there was fireworks. <laughs> wow. And then we had... We had this big bouncer called Big John on the door, okay. and we did the conga round the courtyard, <laughs> <laughs> and all through the mill, and that yeah. was that was the first one. Wow! Mm. And uh, that definitely sets the tone for what was to come with yeah. listening to Mill. I think. Yeah. One thing that interests me, though, as well, is because I used to live just across the road in Arthur Millwood Court. I was yeah. my partner for years, 
what was this area like when you first started coming here? Like, because it is, it's quite close to the city centre, but it's still, yeah. and it's getting renovated now. You can hear them outside. Yeah. But it's still, you know, it's still Salford. It still has a bit of a reputation of being a bit rough around here. What was it like then? It, it wasn't at all what it's like now. Yeah. Um, it was just this street, really. The school was there. Mm-hmm. None of the flats that are in the area were here. Yeah. Um, it had a reputation of being a bit sort of, oh, how would you describe it? You know, a bit, bit rough between the edges, yeah. round the, rough round the edges. Yeah. Um, Salvation Army was at the street, but it was, it was a slightly neglected part of town, slightly mm. abandoned. So you could kind of get away with stuff because there was no one here. So in yeah. one sense, it was brilliant, but um, yeah. So. so, like, a party that had a bonfire and fireworks, did the police come up or did the police... No, no. no. We, we, were, we did have the police arrive a few times. Mm. Um, there was a squad car arrived a few times. And luckily, at, not for that party, but the other ones, and luckily... I went on a licensees course mm-hmm. with Mark Collins, so we were okay. both we both have licenses, so we did get quite pro at this. Mm. And um, we we applied for the temporary events notice. <laughs> it was all of a sudden we were about to do this big party, and there was two vans parked outside full Ooh, of police. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god! So I went and let them in and showed them around the event space and showed them temporary events notice, and. You know, and they were like, fine, have a good time. Yeah. And then, yeah, so it did attract the police, but luckily before it got going. And then we were we were completely yeah. left to it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned as well about, like, there weren't toilets downstairs mm. and stuff. It's like, presumably, when you moved in, there was a lot, like, renovations and stuff had to be done. Like, yeah. what were the facilities like? here And up here on the fourth floor as well, like... Yeah, there was, everything was very basic. So at some point we had toilets plumbed into the ground floor because the queues for the toilets mm, were yeah. pretty annoying. Mm. Um, th- there wasn't the side gate, you know, the, on the corridor. Yeah. That wasn't there. We had to go through that big gate with the barbed wire on that mm-hmm. had this awful lock on it. Mm-hmm. Up here, I mean, at some point we had some hot water put in, which okay. was great. Yeah. Had the kitchen. And when... Um, when I first moved in, we had to share our bathroom with the rest of the studios. Okay. So, I and th- there wasn't a lot of electricity. So mm-hmm. when you left this flat and you went into the hallway to go to the bathroom, there wasn't a light switch or anything like that, you know, <laughs> anything as glamorous as a light yeah. switch. So I said to Belinda, you know, what happens if you need to go to the bathroom at night? And she just sort of said, here you go, I'll leave this head torch out for you. So you'd have to put a head torch on and then sort of make your way. And, I mean, it's pretty tidy, believe it or not, now to how it was, but you would just clamper over stuff to to get anywhere. I don't know, there was a lot of stuff in this mill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there still is a lot of stuff in this mill. It's a process of, like... Mm. getting rid of the stuff now as well that's happening and then it all comes back somehow, yeah and then it all yeah. comes back when you were living yeah. in here with bill and belinda yeah were there other people on this floor who had studios was it was the rest of the floor what was what was on that other bit of the floor so we had a little washing machine mm-hmm. uh laundry room next to my bedroom which was great uh and then 
quarantine you know the theater company okay. quarantine they were they were opposite the bathroom because right. they had the susan and darren flyer which was the quarantine show with darren pritchard and his mom right right on the door right um yeah yeah so i dj'd at the little after party of that when they did it at cool Sasha's hotel yeah for queer up north um when when was this is this 2005 it must have been about 2005 yeah. Yeah. yeah um that was such a great performance yeah um so it was all around that time i have heard about that i haven't seen it though but i don't know if it's something that would ever be repeated because i guess it was of the time it uh-huh. definitely was of the time yeah, yeah. darren darren and his mom yeah it, yeah it was a great show yeah um can you remember any of the other people who were on this floor mark and sophia who had the gallery okay Bureau Gallery. Okay. They had... Yeah, so at some point, the, a gallery was on the ground floor. Right. Um, As in the gallery that's there now? Yeah, that was what, a gallery. So, but presumably, did that get turned into a gallery at it, some point? It got turned into a gallery, yeah, yeah, at some point. And Mark and Sophia ran it, and it was called Bureau Gallery. Right, okay. That's interesting, mm. because whenever I first came here in 2010, and that was already well set up, yeah. It felt like that gallery space was like With already... Bureau. I'm Why not, did you change names? I'm not sure. I don't remember it having a name when I first came here in 2010. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that it didn't. It yeah. could have been. I just didn't, sure. I just didn't catch it. Mm. But um, And also, I think from speaking to Bill, I think when I first came here, which would have been the summer of 2010, yeah. I think stuff had like a bit of an upgrade had happened to the actual venue space downstairs. Yeah. So there was probably, like, an actual PA was put in. Yeah. And there was a stage there as well. I think the stage was in by the time I first came here, which I've heard that wasn't... There wasn't always a stage there. That had to be built in. Yeah, yeah. I think when I was here, we did have the, a, a stage of sorts. Yeah. 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 Um, And the bar... I'm just trying to think now. The, we did build a bar at some point. Yeah. That definitely would have... I kind of, I could be getting mixed up in my own memory, but mm. I kind of feel like the first time I came here, it was 2010, the early summer. So probably around this time, actually, yeah. about to the, like May-ish. Um, I don't know if it was Sounds from the Other City, but it was a gig by a band called Kings of Long Arms yeah. from Sheffield, Adrian and them. And from my memory of it, I feel like the, the, the club, the venue space was pretty well it was, it, you know, it was the venue space that mm. we knew at that point. It had already been mm. done up to that. So I think the bar had been built. But then I think when Fat Out took over, they did some tweaking to... Mm. Yes, I remember now. The bar used to go along the back wall when I first yeah. arrived. But now the bar, or what would have been at the end of Fat Out Borough's residency, was kind of over to the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. and the sound desk was at the back wall. I think yeah. when I first arrived at the mill, the bar was at the back wall, and the sound desk yeah. was over to the right-hand side. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Jane, how did Club Brenda come to be in the first place? <laughs> We're talking through the drilling noises <laughs> and all the clanking, but we'll manage it, we'll manage it. Welcome to life at Islington Mill. <laughs> um, so... Myself and Jerry Potter, Chloe Poems, started Club Brenda in 1999. And we started it at the Star and Garter pub, which is just at the edge of the village, just where Mayfield Depot is now. Mm -hmm. And Chloe Poems named 
It Club Brenda after his friend Brian, who died of AIDS. And Brian's drag name was Brenda. Ah. So it was a club name. Um, oh, that's lovely. I didn't know that that yeah. was the, the origin of the name. That's yeah. really nice, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this was the late 90s, and we had Divine David on, who was doing his TV program on mm -hmm. Channel 4, yeah. Divine David Presents. We had Viva, who mm -hmm. was a, a soul singer on Grand Central Records, and they were a big sort of independent record label yeah. in Manchester at the time. Yeah. Um, and we had... Gosh, I, yeah, I was also running a record label called Switch Flicker, and mm -hmm. what we did with Switch Flicker was we, we released these limited edition seven-inch singles, mm -hmm. and the first one we launched was by Marky e. Smith. He, okay. he did... Uh, he gave us some vocals mm -hmm. for our first single. And um, I, I was working with a sound artist called Marb Manjan, and we'd met at the Dardy Building, which is now the Deaf Institute. You okay. know... Um, yeah, 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 I know the Deaf Institute. Just off the Oxford Road. Yeah. Which is a gig space. Well, before it was a gig space, it was an art space. Right, okay. And we, it was... Um, and we did sound design and sound art and multimedia stuff in there. And it was led by a guy called Tosh. And Tosh managed John Cooper Clark, Jilted John, okay. and Slaughter and the Dogs. He <laughs> was an old punk. Yeah. So it so Club Brenda came about from this sort of it was very punk, very electronic, mm. very but very gay. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. kind of an odd and a weird mix of avant garde avant garde performance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, electronic camp, hip hop. Mm -hmm. spoken word you know and we had Rosie Lugosi the lesbian vampire poet we had oh, Fiona yeah. Bowker, um who did poetry and you know there's always lots of vodka yeah. flowing and I think at the time there was nothing like that and Queer as Folk was just starting on TV yeah. so you know it was like Queer was going I guess to main, more mainstream artists and at the time when we started Brenda you know, you could still see Tony Warren, who created Coronation Street, still drinking on Canal Street. So it was a very, it was of, it was of the time, really. Yeah. Do you have any, what was your favourite event that Brenda put on? Or your favourite performance that you saw there? Well, I guess when we moved it to the mill, it was, we adapted it really to the space of the mill and people that were living here and Bill and Murray were involved and Rachel Goodyear was involved. She did uh, the design and the posters and she did some happenings mm -hmm. dressed as um, a bird woman with a bird in her mouth. And oh, she's right. still okay. got the bird in her studio. Wow. Next door. Um, so she sat on the bar with a bird in her mouth uh -huh. and all the, the masking tape on the posters, that was yeah. Rachel. Yeah. Andrew Brooks would do the lighting. He came up with some amazing lighting ideas. Wow. I'd DJ, Debbie Jump would DJ, Viva would DJ, Roof, Alan would DJ. And then we'd have these kind of performers like the Cross Out Clowns, who was Alexis Milne, John Savage Wolf would draw. Um, you know, there'd be like trampolines around the place and mm. people drawing 
in the courtyard and graffiti. And then, you know, we spent a lot of time preparing the space. Yeah. Getting it ready, getting the, you know, maybe a bonfire or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. You know, getting the first floor set up. Yeah. Was there ever any health and safety issues? Because it's... Yeah, there was. So when we started doing the, the temporary events notice, you know, it was a very haphazard space. And um, it was a very collective effort. And, you know, when we wanted to increase capacity, because it was very popular, but we needed an extra fire exit. So mm. I think we just got a sledgehammer and put a big hole in the downstairs basement and then put a bit of cut, you know, a bit of wood we found and that would be the fire door. But, you know, yeah. we adapted the space as it went. And I think there was a recording studio put down there at some point. Right, okay. I don't know what happened to that. Yeah. yeah. You also mentioned as well about like the main door that people come into the yeah. mill now wasn't there. No, it wasn't there. So that was knocked a hole knocked through the wall that was done by well, that was done professionally right but yeah. this fire door was at the back it went into the court space right okay yeah the courtyard yeah yeah i think i can imagine there was like there's kind of doors with windows in them yeah you anything yeah but then once you got into the the courtyard we then had to clear all the rubble away and mm. you know get rid of everything so there was a, a clear exit so it was just continually yeah moving making there was it was a it was labor intense. It was a labor of love. Yeah. I guess that's the only way. It must have been a lot of work. It like. was every weekend, yeah. nights. It was just, it was a lot of work. And then eventually it got more popular and popular and it was formalized and it became the Islington Mill Arts Club. Right, okay. Hmm. When was this around? Uh, probably 2007. Okay. A couple of years of cool. doing it DIY. Yeah. yeah. And then it was maybe earlier. Yeah. Sure. Around that period. Right. Mm. You mentioned earlier that you run a record label. That's right. Yeah. And I have to ask about a particular act who were yeah. released through your record label who were yeah. also residents of the mill at that point. Yeah. And that was the Ting Tings. Yeah. So how did you come to release music by the Ting Tings? What is the backstory to the Ting Tings involvement okay. at Islington Mill at the time? So I think I mentioned previously, Bill was renting out the engine house mm -hmm. and there were, he rented it out to a band called Dear Eskimo and they were three, three people in the band. And Dear Eskimo had a, a deal with a major record label mm -hmm. I can't remember which one. And so I think the label paid for the rent for the, and they had a recording studio in there. Right. And drum kit and the guitar. You know, they mm. did their recording sessions. Were, do you know what, what do they sound like? Were they? They were Eskimo. Yeah. Oh, they were, they were a terrible <laughs> band. Uh, yeah. They, they were, well, they got dropped. Yeah. Was it indie music or was it? Oh my god, I, I think it was sort of derivative pop music. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was a. Yeah. So, how did you come to release music by the Ting Tings? Well, I spent a lot of, I spent a lot of time in, in their flat, in mm -hmm. the, the engine house. And they were sort of rebranding, I guess, in, from Dear Eskimo into the Ting Tings. So, I spent a lot of time with them. Um, and they, I think they're also influenced by what we're doing in the club space and Club Brenda. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because in That's Not My Name, they call me Jane. That's me. Oh, right. Remember the lyric? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Katie put that in. <laughs> um, so I guess 
because I had the record label, Switch Flicker, I'd already released lots of 7-inch singles. So mm-hmm. we hatched the plan to put out a 7-inch single. Mm. So we did the sleeve design, um, and we decided we'd do... That's not my name. On the, It was a double A-sided single, okay. and this was in 2007. Okay. Um, yeah, so we did... That's not my name on one side. Then with the double A side on the flip was Great DJ. Right, okay. Yeah. Is that about you? <laughs> no, that <laughs> could have been. It's not. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. It's funny to me because yeah. like, because um, when I was living in Glasgow, I was based in mm. a similar, a kind of a similar space to Islington Mill, yeah. but it was way more down I don't know how like lo-fi it was nowhere near as developed as Islington Mill even was when I first came here but that Mm. was founded by Franz Ferdinand yeah Um, so I was always very interested to find out a bit more about like the involvement of the Ting Tings in Islington Mm. Mill because that's kind of similar to where I came from but it always felt to me like the Ting Tings kind of kind of came out of nowhere and suddenly we're like oh there's this new band to have a smash hit called the Ting Tings so it was always a bit like yeah, how it like, did snowball completely yeah. snowball. It was such a surprise because, I mean, so we I don't know if it was their record launch and we did we did about three little record launches. One of them was in their house in the mm. in the engine house and we did this gig and um, you know all of us you know these big record execs from the states were getting on private jets to fly in. Mm. Mike Pickering was here. Yeah. Every single major label, A and R, you know, boss. Not mm. just an A and R sort of people. It was it was the bosses of the big labels came in, and the lawyers. Yeah. They they had they had the pick really of of any record deal, and so we did we did the single launch there, and again I think it was a donations bar, mm. and mm-hmm. then we then they did Club Brenda in the mm-hmm. mill, and Mike Pickering came and DJed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they signed with Mike to Sony. He was working at Sony at the time. Mm-hmm. And then we did another one, which was Brenda's Golden Stage. It sounds from the other city. Okay. And Brenda did The Rover's Return. It sounds from the other city. Yeah. And that was a fantastic gig. It, this tiny little pub, yeah. you know, full of, little reg- full of regulars. Mm. Um, it was heaving. It was great in Hooker was on the bill it was such a fantastic it was such a great buzz it was such a great time you know it was there was a real momentum and i guess it all came as a surprise and happened very very quick yeah yeah well that's that's quite interesting because obviously the ting tings like you said i mean and like i said it kind of came out of nowhere Mm -hmm. but they were a band that just like had a smash hit tune with their first release yeah. Like, how did that fit in with the rest of the stuff that you were putting out, which was a bit more DIY, a bit more yeah. punky, maybe? Definitely, yeah. So we we released Valerie. Um, they mm-hmm. played here at Brenda in the Mill, yeah. and a lot. Elvis DJed. Yeah. And um, they For were. That's Elvis Sharp. Yeah, Elvis Sharp. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, Valerie had gone on tour with La Tigra mm-hmm. and the Gossip, so. You know, by the mid sort of 2000s, Riot Girl was was massive, and mm. female fronted bands were becoming more popular. Yeah. And um, it was it was influenced by Riot Girl. Yeah. 
So did you feel that um, Brenda was like a feminist thing, really? Well, it was very lesbian. And at the time, there were very, well, you know, th there wasn't a lot of, res of lesbian representation. Mm -hmm. And in terms, you see, the world doesn't like the word lesbians, the drills are coming out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but it, but it was also a, a very mixed night, you mm. know. Um, I think people saw it as a, a lesbian night, mm. um, and it, it compared to, you know, the gay culture, queer culture at the time, very much followed the trajectory of, of the white gay gay mm. male, didn't it? You know, mm -hmm. through mm. AIDS and ACT UP and everything else. So queer as folk. Queer as folk. There, there was very little sort of female representation, which Brenda was very influenced by Riot Girl, female-fronted bands. And, you know, say we had a party, we'd put on AIDS Wharf, which was a heavy yeah, drone yeah. band, mm -hmm. and then we'd put it next to a hip-hop band from Grand Central, like mm -hmm. Finger Thing. And then we'd have Viva, who was a soul singer. Mm -hmm. she, she would DJ. And then we'd have special guests like Kath and Philippa from Homo Electric, playing Donna Summer to a room on the first floor packed full of lesbians. Mm. You know, so it was people, misfits from all walks of life, really, yeah. but it was very led and promoted by and showcased f female, you know, female musicians, music, yeah. DJs, performers. And at, at the time, the whole band scene in Manchester was very male yeah. as well. So. Yeah. You know, it was quite an antidote to what to what was going on. Do you think that the culture now is a bit more open and representative of like lesbian and feminist stuff than it was back then? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and I think young people identify their sexuality very differently, don't they? They're non-binary, mm. they're gender fluid. You know, mm. I think there's a lot more openness and ref ref reflection. Yeah, yeah, that is good. Mm. Do you think, I mean, you know, would you say that Club Brenda has helped in that? You could take some praise that, you know, you did the carve a little niche of that representation? I think so, yeah. yeah. I really think so, yeah. I mean, so this interview series is about Islington Mills history, but also it's queer history. So I suppose yeah. we could, like, start talking about the queerness of it now as well, mm. more openly. Yeah. Um, yeah, like... I, I moved to Manchester in 2010, so I yeah. missed the entire wave of queer as folk yeah. and the kind of like queer as cool or whatever. Mm. But like, how did you feel about, about that stuff at the time? Like, you know, as a, as a queer person living in Manchester at the time, how did you feel about that? Well, queer as folk, I guess it was a self, I don't know. It, I can't quite think of the word, but, you know, it was great that queer people, gay people get, get on mainstream TV. Um, but then Canal Street lost its edge completely and became full of hen parties. So, yeah. you know. I mean, that is the interesting thing mm. for me as somebody who came here in 2010, is that I've only ever really seen Canal Street as, like, 
it's basically like a meat market. It's just a same-sex <laughs> and fluidy meat market rather than the Dean's yeah. Gate, which is a hetero meat market. Yeah. So I've got no conception for me of the village being like a radically place or a kind of groundbreaking place because as soon as I came here, it was already oh. well-established well as, you know, that queer as folk yeah. thing. Like, So yeah. it's very interesting to me talking to people about like what it was like before that and also like... Did you feel like when you came to the mill that this was maybe a space where you could make things happen that was more representative of you and your friends? Well, Canal Street was groundbreaking and Manto's mm. was groundbreaking because it was the f it was the first gay bar w that had windows. Mm. You know, lesbian and gay people, non-binary non people, mm. trans people were absolutely disliked you mm. know um you you were a lot of my friends that um would you know be rejected by their family their parents and in the 90s that was the norm really mm. and when they built the lesbian and gay center on sydney street you know it had a fire escape it had windows boarded up so no one could bomb it mm. you know that there was in the 19 just before we started Club Brenda at the Star and Garter, there was the nail bomb at the Admiral Duncan. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? That. Yes, I remember that very well, actually, yeah. That was the anniversary of that came up. It's quite recent, yeah. actually. It was in May, I think. Yeah. So I think it was the 22nd anniversary of that because mm. it was 1999, I think, when that happened. Yeah, it was. That's yeah. when we started Brenda. Yeah. Just the weekend after. Wow. Mm. I mean, was that... Like, well, you know, obviously you want to do your thing. Because, yeah. like, I, we put on nights as well and we've worked mm. together and stuff. And I know that, like, it's never really the, the you know, the, the main reason that you do it. But it is an important reason to do those things as well. Like, it was Brenda... How did you conceive of Brenda? Like, I don't know. How's the best way to ask this? What do you think Brenda was offering that you couldn't get in the village? Do you know what I mean? Well, it was an alternative space. Mm. I think, you know, you, you came out in Manchester and you had to like 90s house music, a mm. piano riff, didn't you? Mm. Which, you know, fair enough, yeah. you know, you can yeah. go along with it. But this was an alternative to the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was just creating an interesting underground experimental space. Yeah. It feels, it sounds a bit more like it was that sort of stuff came out of it organically. Rather than it was you wanting, I want to, yeah. you know, it was yeah. just like, that's who you are, so it and can't help being that. And it was very punk as well, you mm. know, and that was a big influence from yeah. Manchester's punk scene, definitely. Yeah. When you first started, like, you know, before you moved into the mill, you first started mm. coming here and stuff, and obviously Bill was here and there was mm. fashion stuff happening here. Yeah. Did this space feel like a queer alternative space? No, 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 because it, it it was like manufacturing, it was industrial, it was still had carpenters mm. and, you know, it felt like a sort of industrial warehouse yeah. place. Because um, it is interesting to me that the mill is providing this kind of space for mm. queer expression and yeah. art and stuff like that to happen, but I'm just, I'm trying to work out through these interviews how much of mm. that was intentional and right. how much of that is organic. Yeah. And I have to be honest, it feels very organic, but I'm also aware that so many of the people who have been involved in the history of the mill 
are queer in some way or on mm. the LGBTQ spectrum. Yeah. So, for instance, like you took Brenda to Berlin at one point. Do, would you say that that was like, was there a queer element to that? Like, you know, were you representing, wanting to represent queer artists in Berlin at that point? <laughs> well, we took half of Manchester with us <laughs> and Salford. Yeah. So, Murray's brother Paulie had a, a club in um, a band venue space in Kreuzberg in Berlin called West Germany. And it was an old dentist surgery and it had all white tiles everywhere and wires hanging from the ceiling and this amazing balcony. Um, you could watch the trains go. Um, and we, we took Club Brenda over there. It was fantastic. You know, we took Hooker, David Thomas Broughton, Screen Club, Valerie, Magic Arm, you know, Piss Jeans. We oh, had. Wow. Yeah. We had a, there was loads of bands on, and then we all DJ'd me, David Jump, Ruth, and uh, I think the AAS were down to DJ, although I'm really? sure they turned up. <laughs> um, and there was a great band scene going on in Berlin, mm. and it was it was great to do. Um, you know, we went over for about a week. Yeah. We 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 hired the whole of a youth hostel. We all stayed in this massive youth hostel, <laughs> and then we did the club. We did Brenda together. Yeah, and hung out in Berlin. It was fantastic. We did that, I think, three times, three or wow. four times. Yeah. yeah. I, the first time I met mm. you, though, it was when you were working at Crack. Yeah, that's so, right. So, and looking back on it now, I feel like, I, I don't know why this is necessarily. Maybe it's because of the things that I was going to see at Crack. Like, for instance, mm. we, me and Joe went to see David Hoyle there. And that was, for me, to be able to go to a live show and see David Hoyle, who... I had seen on the TV when I was mm. a lot younger and had made a massive impression on me. Yeah. And then coming to Manchester and being like, oh my God, Divine David is doing, like you can go and see the Divine David. <laughs> Holy shit, like that was massive for me. So like, yeah. I think, I feel like in my brain, I felt like crack was more queer than the mill at that point. Um, did you, would you say that you went into crack with that intention or? Well, I guess, my friends and my tastes are quite queer, mm. you know, uh, especially at that point, or we're alternative. And we did so many gay nights at Crack. We did Off the Hook, yeah. Drunk at Vogue, mm. Pop Curious. That would be, and Tranarchy. Tranarchy and with yeah. you and Joe. Yeah. We did tons. Yeah. And there were so many drag artists, and because mm -hmm. it was down an alleyway, yeah. you could come and dress up and get a cab you could have a fag in the alleyway and you were you were safe mm. no one could see you it was a perfect spot and when we first set crack up um in on stevenson square in the northern quarter it was empty you know it was post the crash of 2008 and there was loads of empty office blocks so yeah we got a very cheap deal on it no one wanted it and yeah like i was saying before it was uh, <laughs> It was the old office of Richard Branson's PA. <laughs> really? Yeah, she had that office, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I still remember the, the drop ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was going to a club and it was like, oh, it's got, <laughs> <laughs> it's got a drop it's ceiling in here. A fake, yeah, fake fake office ceiling. Yeah. And we were selling a few red stripes yeah. on the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, what, I don't know, what did you bring to crack that you had learned at Islington Mill? In, you know if anything um i guess you know 
I, I want a, a rehearsal space, mm -hmm. and it was right next door to my flat. I was living around the corner at the time. So I had the rehearsal space, mm -hmm. and then we, it, it didn't have a license on it, so we did the same sort of thing, put temporary events notices in, uh, and then on the weekends, we'd have parties, mm -hmm. and that would cover the rent. And yeah. then, you know, it, it got a premises license, and everything else, and it became a venue. Yeah. Um, you know, pretty, a pretty cool venue in town, mm -hmm. didn't it? You know, yeah, it's yeah, where it everybody great. went. Yeah. All the bands went there, all the artists went there, all the performers. Yeah. And it was great to have a really cheap, we, we kept everything cheap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's very hard now in town to have, make things affordable, where Absolutely. you can just have a space, put yeah. on what you want, do what you want. That's, you know, right, right in the center of town mm -hmm. yeah we used to like because we did events at crack mm -hmm. um and then i think it was when riv started booking things here at mm -hmm. islington mill which would have been about 2013 i think mm -hmm. it became that to me was the point when islington mill became not that it was not queer but more overtly queer friendly mm. like we brought tranarchy here for some mm. gigs and stuff like that and it's like yeah. up to that point we had to be very careful of where we would do these things to make sure that the people who came who were obviously very queer looking and very mm. outside or whatever felt safe yeah. um so yeah it's funny looking back on that period of time that like when i first arrived in manchester around 2010 islington mill seemed a bit more like a traditional gig venue a band venue yeah. whereas crack was the one that was but this is more diy and definitely more queer because of the yeah. representation of the things that were going on there yeah. then and stuff so it is like that's an interesting like counterbalance that you know to look back on this history and at that point it felt like crack was the one that was more queer than islington mill even though islington mill has got loads of people on the queer spectrum working here and doing it and yeah. stuff um yeah, so what are you doing now, Jane? Where, like, apart from sitting in <laughs> a really noisy studio trying to avoid drill sounds. Con concophony of drills. <laughs> so, um, so what am I doing now? So, I guess I've taken what I've, well, I guess a lot of, well, yeah, I guess what I've done is taken what I've learned from reimagining spaces and you know alternative underground DIY spaces like Islington Mill yeah, and Crack and I sort of now work in theatres and since Covid online spaces so mm -hmm. now I, I sort of do theatre, dance contemporary performance and I've I guess we'll bring together creative teams from a range of backgrounds um, to to make these shows. So just done a show with Mandela Ray, who's a non-binary artist. And oh, that's an online show, I'm assuming. It's a film. It's a short oh, film. Right, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we had... God, these drills. So mm. we, we worked with... It's supposed to be a live show for Queer Contact. Mm. And we work with an artist filmmaker called Graham Clayton Chance, who I used to live with back in the 90s in Hume. Right. Um, so I work with 
Graham, artist filmmaker Graham Clayton Chance, who um, directed the film. Joe Fong was involved. He used to work. She's a movement director that used to work with Quarantine and Rambert. Okay. Uh, so you're still working with a lot of the same people. Yeah. yeah, that's lovely. You know, worked with Sonia Hughes, who's a writer. She she was the script artist advisor for Mandler's show. I worked with, you know, Michael Hankin, was who did the set for Bourgeois Maurice. Okay. What was their show at home? Ooh, I don't know. I didn't see The it. musical. Oh, um, I can't remember. Yeah. He did their set. I, John Krauser, who's dressed... Tilda Swinton and Maxine Peake and Derek Jarman did the costume. Mm -hmm. And then the director of photography works with Steve Coogan. So it was quite um, a broad range yeah, of yeah. people coming together for Mandler's show, which was about, is biographical about their experience of coming from Zimbabwe to here mm -hmm. to, uh, well, yeah, you can watch the show. It's, it's, yeah. it's going to be on an in-between time which is a performance art festival okay. in Bristol. Yeah, and it's about memory, migration, mm -hmm. asylum, mm -hmm. non-binary. Mm -hmm. And it's, for me, what I'm really interested in or what's important is intersectionality. So the intersectionality of class, race, sexuality, and gender, and how these present challenges for developing work and finding ways <laughs> um, you know finding new ways to tell these stories and these stories are often heard unheard sorry and excluded and it's about creating spaces online spaces theaters DIY mm -hmm. spaces and giving people the space to tell their story mm -hmm. and how they engage with audiences and I think what I've found is um, Audiences always want something new, a new experience. They always want somewhere new to go. And it's, it, I think that's, that's what I'm good at, is creating, creating the space, mm -hmm. the environment where that can happen. Mm -hmm. That's a lovely place to end it, I think, because I think it's yeah. fair to say that you did do that with Islington Mill. Yeah. And part of the purpose of these interviews is to recognize the people who have been really influential mm. in that being allowed to happen here. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think, is, is there anything else? Where can we find you online? Or is there anything well, else that you want to say? The, yeah, I guess. So all the shows I've been doing are on switchflicker.co.uk mm -hmm. and you, I've been working with David Hoyle okay. on his big show, Diamond. I do remember that just before we went into lockdown, yeah. there was supposed to be a David Hoyle residency at home. Yeah. And I think we'd even got tickets for it and yeah. stuff. And it was just, and we'd gone to, Greg Thorpe did an mm. interview with David at um, yeah. Wellington Mill? No. Hope. Hope Mill. That's mm. right, at Hope Mill. And yeah, and it was just like, oh, brilliant, David's back. And then lockdown. So, yeah. Nope, sorry. <laughs> what? Well, well, David's show Diamond was um, was told the biography of lesbian and gay rights. It told sorry, Diamond sort of told the story of lesbian and gay rights um, through the biography of David Hoyle. Okay. And we did it in 2017 because that was the year the Wolfenden 50 year anniversary 
or was it the 60-year anniversary of the Wolfenden Report, mm. um, which was a big, massive report that started the decriminalization of, yeah. of homosexuality. Yeah. So we did a show at that, and that went on tour, went to Soho Theatre, mm -hmm. Contact Theatre, and it went all around the UK, and it even toured Slovenia, Macedonia, wow. North Macedonia. So we went to these lesbian and gay festivals in Macedonia and Slovenia, and they just had emerging lesbian and gay festivals. And to put David on, mm. you know, and telling their story, telling David's story, and the story of lesbian and gay rights, it was, you know, it was, it was great all around. The, everyone in the UK, I think, because David's such an icon, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was a big celebration. Yeah. And then we did Rent Party with... Of course. Darren, Darren Pritchard. Pritchard, yes, and House of Ghetto. And House of Ghetto. Yeah, we went to, me and Michael Jajadwar went to mm. see that actually when it was over the road near Old Pine Pot, there was yeah. a tower block that was being, it had been shut down so they could do renovations. Yeah. And we went to see a kind of a scratch version of Rent Party in this old <laughs> block, yeah. uh, tower block. It was incredible. Is that yeah. coming back at any point? Is there well, we want to. We want to bring it back, but obviously we have to wait and see what happens yeah. with, with COVID. Yeah. yeah, it's the same. It's mm. just like everyone has got plans of what we want to do when it's yeah. over, but it's just we just need to wait and see when it's actually going to be over because, mm. yeah, who knows. But we've, we, you've had both your jabs now. I've had one. You've had one, same as <laughs> yeah, me. One. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm just waiting on my second now. Yeah. So yes, let's oh, yeah. hurry up and get those second jabs and Great. anything else. So we can find you at your website, right? Yes. Which is switchflicker.co.uk. Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere else we should look? Any? You've got anything else to look at or anything else you want to I promote? Think so. I think everything's on there. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Thank you very much. And Ooh. yeah. And just as we finish the interview, the noise has stopped. Are you kidding? <laughs> No, it hasn't. Oh, no, it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, big thanks to Jane Compton there for that awesome, in-depth look at the history of Islington Mill and her involvement in this space. Um, you can find Jane still at Switch Flickr. It's switchflickr.co.uk if you want any more information on any of her current projects. That's S-W-I-T-C-H-F-L-I-C-K-E-R.co.uk. And that's enough for this episode. Big thanks from me, the Nihilist. And we'll be back in the very near future with some more Islington Mill queer history. Goodbye. <laughs>